Hello, everyone. This is Fox News Roop Raj. On the April 13th edition of Let It Rip, we took on gun violence. We're actually talking to the chief of police in Detroit and a local pastor. What needs to be done? Is it just getting guns off the streets or is it mental health? Also, we're taking a deep dive into that judge that blocked the FDA's approval of a very important drug when it comes to abortion. What's going to happen next? Could it end up with the Supreme Court? We're going to take a deep dive right now. So let's let it rip. Tonight on Let It Rip. A new year, but the same story. Gun violence terrorizing communities as police try to figure out how to stop it ahead of the summer. Police Chief James White says mental health needs to be addressed. As advocates say, more needs to be done to get guns off the streets. But first... Less than a year after the fall of Roe v. Wade, abortion rights hang in the balance once again. Could it be heading to the Supreme Court again? We're diving deeper into what can and should happen next. The debate starts now. Time now to let it rip. The abortion issue is certainly a complicated one, but our panel is ready to dig in. We have Congresswoman Haley Stevens and also pro-life advocate Rebecca Kiesling and, of course, Fox 2 anchor and attorney Charlie Langton with us as well. So what does this all mean? You're hearing a lot about this Texas court and this dueling courts talking about this abortion pill. Here's what the restrictions would mean. Basically, if this abortion pill restriction goes through, it would say it can't be dispensed by mail, which is a really important piece. Also, uh, you'd need three in-person doctor's visits that would be required if you wanted to take this. And it also would uh, limit the chance, the window for you to take this to seven weeks into pregnancy rather than 10 where it currently stands. You hear about these particular stipulations uh, and then you, you look at our panelists who are on two opposing viewpoints here. What could be wrong? with these restrictions, Congresswoman Haley Stevens. Well, this is an unprecedented ruling. First, you see a judge coming down on something that's been FDA approved, that has been proven to be safe, that's been in the marketplace for 20 years, is used in cases of women having miscarriages, women seeking abortions, and now all of a sudden we have this ruling. Now we see another ruling coming in. We, we're probably gonna see this go to the Supreme Court. I and 239 other members of Congress acted, we put together amicus and said keep this in place don't mess with the FDA it's it's a dangerous precedent but what if we're saying that the drug gets to remain but we're just putting these stipulations in place to say you can't do it by mail we're gonna limit the window back to seven weeks and we're gonna require three doctors visits what could be wrong with that well I think we've got to trust women I think we've got to listen to women and I don't think judges need to be putting into place rulings on medicine. What if they did that for your thyroid medicine? What if they did that for Alzheimer's medication? What are people to do if you're in a rural area and it takes you 45 minutes one way to get to your doctor? It's a lot of visits. Rebecca, you hear this argument. What if they start doing this with other medications? It's a slippery slope. When you start putting these types of stipulations on this medication, uh, suddenly you take a look at what the FDA has approved in the past. You say, hey, let's rip this all up and start from scratch. That could be a really messy road, can't it? First of all, this was pushed through under the Clinton administration where it didn't have normal testing. They used uh, an exception to the rule in case of epidemics where where there was a life-threatening disease going around pregnancy is not a life-threatening disease and so they didn't do all of the normal trials that they do and the Clinton administration is the one who put in those basic protections and you left one out and one of them was that it would be done by a doctor and in 2016 under the Obama administration they lifted that requirement so all of a sudden it's no longer between a woman and her doctor it's between a woman and you know who knows but Rebecca I gotta I gotta press this point again though if you go down this road and you start 
taking a look at old things from the Clinton administration from the year 2000, and you rip it apart, what else are you going to do? Don't you think that's a slippery slope? No. They, they also eliminated the requirement to report when there's harm to a woman after taking it, unless she dies. And so there's no data since but 2016. But is it a slippery slope to start ripping apart FDA-regulated drugs and starting from scratch? Is that a slippery slope, yes or no? No, I don't believe so. I think it's a slippery slope the opposite way when you start making all these exceptions for drugs that aren't life-threatening. Well, Charlie, uh, look, you have judges that are starting to chime in and saying these are the medications this person can take and these are the stipulations that are in place. Uh, is this a dangerous precedent? Did the, is it my understanding, did a court make these stipulations you yes. just read, a court did? Yes. Didn't we oh. just learn in the Dobbs case, courts don't make, she does. She makes the law right there. Talk to Haley Stevens and all of her members of Congress. If Congress wants to put these in place, okay. If a state wants to put these regulations, okay. But not the courts. They have no business in this. We just got done. I tell you. I don't know what's the deal. Republicans, they just don't learn. Do they want any seats in the, in the Congress? The problem the is they, they Zero. Did, they're they not did no get testing. One. None. In well, 20, Rebecca, what are you saying? In 2016, they did no testing to show the efficacy of switching over from Rebecca, 49 you, so days. You know as well as I do. Let Congress or the state legislatures do whatever they want with abortion, up or down. So, not judges. So and that's what this circuit Well, I hope they shopped around to find the judge. Well, you well, know? Well, well, Look what happened in Washington. It was a judge who went against the Biden administration. The Biden administration does not want to do what these 17 why, attorneys why, general why are asking. Why shouldn't the FDA be trusted? This is the federal... Drug administration, Food and Drug Administration, why shouldn't it be tested? Uh, I actually know I mean, the FDA administrator from 2000, Margaret Hammond, and she's phenomenal, and she's a proven professional, and I, I, from what I know, she probably did a great job in that case, and it was in place for 20 years. You know, when a woman is going through something like a miscarriage, when she's using this medicine, we want that trust to exist between her and her doctor. We want to have the processes and procedures. We want to have the standards in place. We know we have that with the FDA here, and we gotta stop. But let me ask Congresswoman, what about the mailing issue here? When you're talking about mailing prescriptions or mailing drugs like this and allowing people to just mail it where they want, isn't it easier for the wrong people to get their hands on this? Isn't it good to have some stipulations to say, look, maybe we shouldn't mail this. Go see your doctor. What's wrong with that? But why that drug over others? You know that people aren't going on to Amazon.com and getting this drug. It's not about that. It could be in the aftermath of a situation. It could be that a woman has seen her doctor. It could be something very private. I have never heard of abuse in this case. But what I do see is a very targeted effort to make it dangerous for women who might get pregnant, and that's not appropriate. But Rebecca, is it, a judge's, is it a judge's place to make a decision about a woman's health, or is it the decision for someone who's a health care expert or even the Food well, and Drug Administration? Well, that's interesting because in the Washington case where the 17 attorney generals, including Dana Nessel, um, sued the Biden administration. The Biden administration, the FDA, didn't want to do what they're asking, what a judge just ordered to... Um, not have women have informed consent any longer. You know, they're supposed to have to sign something, an, a risk agreement. So if they and, sign it, then it's okay to get the pill? Well. Are you okay with that? Right now, I'm, I don't think that it's healthy, but 
I, they also want to take away the requirement that a doctor is qualified to determine how far along she is gestationally, because that's important. And to be able, and how are you going to do that when you don't have her there? There's supposed to be three visits for a reason. And then they also um, the requirement that they can verify she doesn't have an ectopic pregnancy. That's important. And also that, um, oh, there's another one. But Rebecca, what happens if mifeprestone is taken away altogether? What, what bad things can happen in those cases, do you think? Can you see how people are concerned about that? Well, at least you can have a confirmation of a pregnancy. You can have confirmation of, of you know, how far along she is if you have doctors involved. And I hear Congresswoman repeatedly talking about a doctor being involved. That's not the way it is since 2016. There's no doctor involved anymore. And that's an issue. for If you care about women's safety, you don't want it just legal. You want it safe and legal, right? I mean, that's what they always say. Well, we go through the same process with alcohol rope because you know if you're pregnant and you know you're not seeing your doctor but you know this and that I mean listen alcohol's in the marketplace pregnant women don't take drink alcohol we know that trust women listen to women but should we trust the case to, to, to which Rebecca the point which Rebecca was talking about the Clinton administration the, a lot of people who are on the conservative end of this saying that the FDA rushed this it's supposed to go through a rigorous process it didn't and it's time for it to go through the proper rigorous action so that it is safe for everybody. What do you say to that? It's hard to realize, but it's been 20 years. We really fully are in this 21st century. But just because, we we, just because it's time. been 20 years, mm -hmm. does it mean that it was done correctly 20 years ago? Weren't there mistakes made 20 years ago? And do you believe I don't that believe this should be reevaluated? And for I the last seven years, mistakes. there's no data on how it's harmed women's health because they took away the reporting requirement back in 2016. Why would they do that? If you care about women's health and safety, why would you take out all of the safety precautions oh, I, that are there I, I, to protect women. Has, has anybody died from taking these pills? Yeah. Oh, they have died. Yes, from these pills? yes, and they have to report every death. That's oh, still required. And you know what? We have the highest maternal mortality rates oh, in the different. country, but but because women aren't getting the proper health care, and because we are litigating rather than focusing on oh. results, and we are using, and certainly not you, Rebecca, who I you know I admire your your advocacy and your efforts and and using your freedom of speech, but I will say that. There are groups making money who are exploiting women's health. And this is why we have literally the highest maternal mortality rates of any industrialized nation. And it's particularly terrible for women of color. Congresswoman, what do, you, what, do you tell, what do you tell someone who says that this particular drug, mefepristone, does cause bleeding and all kinds of other issues that send women to the hospital and it diverts doctors' attention away from other very important procedures? What do you tell someone who's who, a doctor, for instance, who's Doctor, I am not but, a doctor. But the fact that it, if you had these stipulations in place, perhaps it wouldn't be as yeah. bad of a yeah. burden on doctors. And that's why it was a doctor's group who sued down in Texas. That's exactly what they found. And that's what the circuit court found, that they have standing because they have suffered as a result of this. Because they're Charlie, having I stress ask you, I want to ask you about cases. the fact that this is going to go back ultimately when you have dueling courts trying to figure this out. Ultimately, it goes right back, plop, into the lap of the Supreme Court where this all started in the first place and they made a decision to say the state should decide the people should decide and then it ends up with the Supreme Court again that's a pretty frustrating look at how this just didn't work did it 
Well, I think, I think realistically, I think that we have to put faith in women. I think we have to put more so faith in the legislature or Congress. And I think that the, the precedent that was set was that we can have these debates. I mean, these are legitimate questions. We certainly want to have safe abortion if that's the law of the land. Although legislatures, like in Florida, for example, they can limit the time when you can get a pill or have an abortion. And if the people of Florida want to do that, that's fine. People in Michigan decided the opposite. You can have an abortion within certain parameters. So I think that the Supreme Court, if they're consistent, and I think they may take this case because there's a, there's a discrepancy here, will probably say, let states decide, or Congress, if Congress wants to get involved for all the states. But I don't think it's going to happen. Rebecca, See, I have to ask you for the third time the same question, but I'm going to hope that you give me an answer this time. All right, here we go. Can you trust the FDA? No, no, I don't trust them for everything. They push this through. And you talk about trusting women. How can women make an informed I consent when they take away their informed consent on this? They, they don't want them to have informed consent and to have to sign the risk assessment. That's the lawsuit from the 17 attorney generals. Why don't they want women to know the risk? So just put a label on it. That would solve that problem? Is that what well, you want? The, the other problem is they, they also want to take away the requirement and the, and the court did in, in Washington, the requirement that the doctors can provide aftercare Fifth. in the event of complications. Get Why her, wouldn't you want them to be able to get, get aftercare? Get her number. you got to do this through Congress, not the courts. It's never going to be upheld. It'll never, but she can do it. Well, the people who elected Maybe. these congresspeople in office will have already spoken in a new poll that just was released in the last 48 hours. It says 53% of the people surveyed said this should be available to women. 22% said no, but I want the congresswoman to address that 22% who may be watching right now saying, I don't think this should be made available because I'm scared of what could happen here. What do you tell them? Well, I would say you have the choice. You have the choice to not take that medicine. And, and certainly an area in which we can agree is around standards. I'm the subcommittee chair for research and technology. I was in the majority, another ranking that oversees the standards body of this country. Transparency around standards. Let's put that forward for all medicine and for all things because we understand we're dealing with PFAS in this sure. country. Here in Michigan, serious topic, not related. We want to have transparency around standards and good health outcomes. But let's stop targeting things that keep women safe. There's four women in Texas, Roop. They're suing right now because they were left almost in sepsis because they weren't getting the medical care they needed while trying to give birth. Okay, it's I want to I I have to wrap this one, but I want to thank our esteemed panel here today for joining us, answering the tough questions and really addressing these issues that matter to the people on the other side of the camera. Rebecca Kiesling, Congresswoman Haley Stevens, good to see you both. Thanks for joining us. Charlie and I on the other side of the break will be talking about this. Summer is almost here. And with that comes fears that gun violence will go up. It'll spike. Chief James White himself, Pastor Moe, and Fox 2's Jessica Dupnack discuss what needs to be done to stop the violence and keep you and your family safe. That's all next. Back now on Let It Rip, the issue of how to address gun violence has dominated headlines, something police and the community have to respond to all too often. So what can be really done right now to stop the bloodshed and keep everyone safe, especially as the weather heats up? Detroit Police Chief James White and Pastor Maurice Hardwick are here now. Fox 2 reporter Jessica Dupnack, who's been covering the streets for years, and anchor and attorney Charlie Langton, who doesn't get a wink of sleep, but <laughs> always has more energy than everybody on this panel. It's always good to see you and to see all of you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, Chief, I want uh, thank you. I know out of your busy schedule, it's tough to carve some time out, but you did for us. So we'll begin with you with that and ask you a little bit about the governor today signing those gun laws into uh, law. It's on the books now. Um, 
will this do anything right away to help? Well, I hope so. I mean, we, we need all the help we can get. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that gun ownership and gun responsibility uh, will become something that's on the forefront of everyone's mind who owns a gun. So uh, I, every little bit helps, and I think that this is a, a huge first step. Pastor Mo, we're going to get to you in just a moment because I know you have a lot to say about how the community can kind of come together and figure this out. But Jessica, I want to get to you for this because you had the chance to sit down one-on-one -on -one exclusively with the head of the ATF uh, and essentially talk about how do we figure this out? How do we curb gun violence? What were some of the things that he said that kind of surprised you? I think really right off the top, and we've talked about this, you know, Chief and I before, is, you know, stolen weapons. Mm -hmm. Over the course of five years across the country, a million weapons were stolen. And these guys aren't going hunting with these weapons. These are being used on the streets to commit crimes. And so that was very interesting because we look so much to law enforcement, community groups to fix everything. But it kind of starts in the home and simple stuff, locking your guns up. I mean, I don't have to tell you uh, both. I mean, we covered this weekend 24 hours, two kids getting guns that they should not have had in the homes and parents really, you know, nowhere to be found in that situation. Pastor Mo, you heard the ATF director today tell Jessica, uh, no matter what we do, people keep doing it. And he said it emphatically and frustrated. And he did say that these are often the same people who keep coming back over and over and over again. Jessica's right, no one can disagree, that it does start in the home. Give us an idea as to what's being done to address that at the community level. Well, we have to be for real about what's really going on. And uh, front, we, 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 we face it up front with uh, crime in the street, uh, shootings, the tragedies. We're trying to get proactive. We don't want to keep on being reactive uh, as a community. We're asking for the community to, to really be just that, a village and a community to protect our innocent, protect our youth. Uh, we need strong gun laws. We need, we, need, we, need, we need people to take responsibility and, and understand that civility is, has to be now. We're we too sophisticated to be having these same things happen uh, to us over and over again. But Pastor Mo, if we know that many of these purchases were straw purchases, we know mm -hmm. for a fact that these are people who are, they, they didn't lawfully get a gun, they're using these guns to hurt people. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that, doesn't, that doesn't start with gun laws, that starts with something else. What is that thing? Well, um, it, it starts with, again, you have to make the law stronger. Then we have to also, in the community, look at what, look at who's being the victim in this, and say we got to protect ourselves. So we have to be responsible and uh, make sure that the guns are locked up. We got, we have to make sure you locked up your guns up, uh, and make sure that that you and your house and your block, your community keeping the kids, the children safe and keeping the neighborhood safe. Charlie, I want, to ch I want you to chime in too in a second. I just want to ask the chief one more question quickly before we get to you about stigmatizing mental health and how important it is to have a discussion about making sure that we're saying, look, yes, people do suffer from mental health crises, but that that isn't always the reason. Isn't it the fact that people have access to these weapons and oftentimes they're hopeless and they feel as though the whole world is against them and they act out. What else is it outside of mental health? I think it's mental health and a number of other things. It's responsible gun ownership. You got people who are more responsible to where they put their cell phone than they are where they put their gun. Mm. We had a five-year-old the other night, uh, you know, it was shot in his back, you know, and mom left him home, uh, you know, to, with, with a caregiver, and we're still working through that case, so I won't go into it too much, but it's unacceptable. And the levels of violence we see in our communities is unacceptable. And, you know, we've got to get really serious about what's happening. 
but it's, it's not just mental illness, it's and mental illness, and if you have someone uh, that you're in contact with or is in your home that you know suffer from mental illness, then it's even more important for you to be even have a higher level of responsibility with your firearm. Yeah, we should point out that people who are simply suffering from anxiety or depression right. and other mild mental health issues, uh, we're not saying that it is all the same. There are degrees and it is on a spectrum, uh, and Chief, of course, you're a counselor, so you yeah. know that better than anybody, but Charlie, you cover the streets each, each and every day. Uh, the governor signing those bills into law today. Conservative groups are saying this is this would not have stopped the MSU shooter. This would not have stopped a lot of the people on the streets of Detroit from getting up and going and killing someone. Uh, possibly. Uh, the Oxford situation, if the gun was locked, we're not sure about that, but the safe uh, storage law, perhaps, that would have perhaps stopped Oxford, perhaps. Um, MSU, who knows? Uh, uh, you know, there's red flag laws, which we'll probably get to next week, I would think. But uh, I, I think the laws are there, they're on the books. Murder's been illegal for a very long time. Right. Let's give it, let's give it, let's be honest here. And, you know, uh, two years is a, you know, listen, the straw purchaser the other day that shot Officer Courts. Yeah got two years in prison because he purchased the gun and gave it to somebody else. Now, if people can't understand that you're going to go to prison for doing something stupid like that, I don't know what's going to go on. I don't think do anybody's... They care, do they care if they're going to prison? I think that well, the sense, if you really are that despondent and you're that upset and you're that angry and you've lost a sense of reality and responsibility, Chief, are you really concerned about going to jail? Well, I think it has to be an absolute penalty. I mean, you, you, if someone violates the law, and you, you pick up a gun, you use a gun to commit a crime, you got to go to jail. I mean, that's just it. I mean, we talk a lot about all the influencers of crime, all the things that we can do to disrupt crime. But at the end of the day, if someone violates the law, if someone uses a gun to commit a, a crime, they have to go to jail. And there has to be absolute certainty with that. Jessica, you talked to the head of the ATF today. He says, he emphatically also said, lock them up. He says, no one's denying the fact that we all have a right, as sure. uh, most of us have, a, all of us have the right to have a gun or to get a gun legally, but you got to lock them up. You know, I've been covering crime in from Flint to Detroit for 10 years now, and what I've seen is a younger generation committing crime earlier. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of these stories, whether it be carjacking, and we're talking 11, 12, 13 year olds. So that intervention early from folks like Pastor Mo, I mean, it seems to be needing to come earlier and earlier because that's making up a segment of, of the, the crime out there. I hope that we can we, we can stop covering this story, but I hope never to stop covering it because it becomes so usual and it becomes the norm. These are people's lives and families who are losing children at 12, 13, 14 years old. Pastor Mo, you talk to these families. What are they telling you is needed right now? Well, I can tell you this. When you said you asked the question about uh, are they scared of being locked up? Let's be for real about this. The youth today are not scared of being locked up or dying because they already feel they locked out and they already feel they're spiritually dead. And so we got to address that to make their lives better. We're going to other things to really get into their home, get into those youth early to really deal with them. And because the families are, see here's another problem. The mental illness is real. And we, are, we have a broken system and mental illness that a governor in 1997 thought it was more uh, expedient to shift the uh, responsibility off the state into the private sector into the family and did not measure that correctly. So the families have took that check without checking out the full and uh, was involved with that. And now those, those same things are being met in the street and our chief had to deal with those crises whether in the state dealing with those with places like North. So 27 closed. years later after the mental health hospitals closed, Chief White, you're left holding the bag as the chief trying to figure out how to 
to handle this. Yeah, and I think we're doing a good job at it, right? I think the officers, but they're police officers, they're not mental health professionals. Uh, and, and so when police arrive on the scene, they're going to react as police officers. And if you're calling the police because your loved one is in mental crisis, you're still getting a police officer. Now we have a CIT program where we're bringing out mental health co-responders with us, but those, those those nuances with, with law enforcement require that we react as police officers. We have to take a break, but I want to ask you one, a one-word answer here. Is it harder to recruit cops because of these problems? Yes. And that's a problem as well, because we need the force, we need the help. We're going to come back on the other side of the break, get some final thoughts with our crew. Also, Charlie is letting you weigh in on the issue. That's when Let It Rip goes on the road. We'll be right back. What do we have to do to stop gun violence? Um, this is a tough question here because it's bigger than you and me. I don't want them to take away the guns. I want them to make it a little more difficult than it is now for it, for them to get their hands on a gun. The governor signed safe storage. I mean, you've got to lock up your guns if you've got a kid in the house. I agree with that. Yeah. Is, that, is it going to do anything? I don't, I don't know. In the day and age world we live in, Charlie, let's just pray that it does. It's just a parent fault, too, you know. The parent got to help out. Should we take the guns away? Yes. Yes. All guns? Yes. Yes. Who's going to change it? Who is going to change it? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Who's going to change it? Because it's been like this forever. Do you need a gun to live in Detroit? If you want to survive, I like that. I like that. But uh, we need more than her, though. We need all the governors. When they have their governor uh, meetings, all of them got to say that. Final thoughts. Jessica, are you hopeful that things will get better this summer? Concerned with the warmer weather, but I'm confident in leadership. Pastor Mo? Yes, activist community is ready to go forth. All hands on deck. I'm hopeful, but we got to be active now. Chief? I'm hopeful and got to put the guns down. Put the guns down and you get the full attention of our law enforcement partnership, DPD, MSP, ATF, DEA, uh, but put the guns down. Let's have a safe summer. And moms and dads and uncles and aunties and everybody else, right, Charlie? Respect yeah. those guns. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we thank you all for joining us on this edition of Letter Rip. Thank you, Chief. Thank you, Pastor Mo and Jessica. That does it for this edition. We'll see you back here next time. The Let It Rip discussion continues online. Sound off on Facebook, Twitter, or Fox2Detroit.com.